You know, one of the things that people don't really know that I'm into is die-cast car collecting. And when I was looking for that holy grail piece, I looked no further than Pit Road Diecast. They helped me look for it. I found it. I bought it. Bill and the team definitely had went out of their way to help me find and track it down so that I could purchase it. So if you have a story like mine and need to get assistance finding that one die-cast car you're having that hard time finding, maybe it's a special version of Chase Elliott's car, give Bill and the team at Pit Road Diecast a call. 216-355-2347. Mention that you found Pit Road Diecast on Redline Radio LLC and receive $5 off your in-store purchase. Money's Crazy Mind is brought to you by Incredible Keepsakes. At Incredible Keepsakes, cherished moments are made to last forever. T-shirts, binders, cups, you name it, Incredible Keepsakes can make it. Reach out to them today at IncredibleKeepsakes.com or 440-242-9648. Don't forget to mention you heard about them on Redline Radio, LLC. Man, has it been raining like crazy. Let's say the main sewer line of your house sucked up a bunch of garbage from the street during them last runs of storms. Well, if you need your drain cleaned, go ahead and give Smith's Drain Service LLC a call. Your local drain cleaning experts. Call at 440-242-8704. Not just your main sewer line, but your bathtub and laundry lines, septic line, kitchen sink lines, floor drain downspouts, and much, much more. Family owned and operated and local to Northeast Ohio. Smith's Drain Service LLC. Give them a call today. Well, let's say you've just had it with them drains and just can't take it anymore and you need a new house. Well, All Access Realty and Frank Sobochan is the people to help you do that. Frank served the country. Now he's serving the community. Go ahead and give Frank a call today at 440-391-7430. Or if you want to shoot him an electronic email device kind of thing, you can reach him at franks at allaccesclerealty.com. Well, we all see it every summer. It is orange barrel season, and the people that help grind up all those potholes and everything to make the roads nice and smooth for us is Dynatech. Dynatech supplies all the bits and uh, saw heads and everything that they use to chop up all them nasty streets. If your construction team needs new bits for your Grinders, go ahead and give Dynatech a call at 800-446-9001. Or you can send them an electronic email thingermabobber at sales at Dynatech.com. And of course, you can always check out their website today, Dynatech.com. Warning. Money's Crazy Mind contains language that may not be suitable for all listeners. Discretion is advised, but will be completely f- ignored. <laughs>
What's up? What's going on, everybody? I don't know where the psych ward is. Where the oh. Oh. There it is. It was just late for some reason this week, but we here we go. We survived Snowmageddon 2022, or at least what everybody was claiming was Snowmageddon 2022. It wasn't all that bad. Uh, in the words of Helen Hunt from Twister, it was windy. It sure as fuck was cold. I know that much. But we survived. I wish my cable and internet had survived what we went through day before Christmas Eve and also uh, into Christmas Eve, actually. But it did not, which is why there was no show last week. Uh, it, it took us a couple of days to get all that stuff back. So, you know, by that point, you know, doing the last little piece of, uh, you know, money's crazy Christmas was kind of not worth it. I mean, it, it was worth it. I mean, for sure, you know, it would have been a great episode, but putting it out after Christmas, it just didn't feel right to me. So here we go. We're going to kick off New Year's bash. We're just a couple of days removed from Christmas. Um. And I shared this story Monday night on Just Therapy. If you guys missed it, I guess hosted Just Therapy. Uh, Miss KT was under the weather. Sean asked me to come on and fill in. And uh, we had a great time, man. It was a great episode. I think we we um, we handled the topics that he talked about uh, very, very well. And I enjoyed every second of it. So, you know, first off, thank you so much to Sean for letting me join him on Just Therapy Monday night and be his co-host, his uh, his uh, partner in crime for the final episode of 2022. This is Money's Crazy Mind final episode of 2022. We are back in Spook Central. You see it right down there. Um, as I said a couple weeks ago, we are going to be in Spook Central uh, recorded for a little bit of the foreseeable future. Uh, just, you know, trying to make some stuff work, man. You know, uh, recovering from the holidays and a few other things like that. So, you know, just trying to make some things work. As soon as we go live again, we will be back in the Growing Wings Adult Services Studios. I can promise you that. All right. But let's talk about Christmas here real quick. So for me... I don't know about you guys. I don't know if it was because we had the storm or, you know, whatever. It just wasn't a very Christmassy Christmas. I don't know. I don't know if you guys felt the same, but for me, it wasn't a very Christmassy Christmas. I tried my damnedest to stay in the spirit. I tried everything I could, but I just couldn't do it, man. Just couldn't do it. But we survived. We made it through. And here we are on the road to welcoming in 2023. But like I said, I told this story about a Christmas when I was a little kid on Sean's show. And I realized I sounded really fucking cocky. And I mean, I, 
I guess I had a few reasons to, you know. I mean, I was one of the only kids on my block to get the Ghostbusters firehouse. So, I mean, it definitely worked out. Um, you know, it, all good, man, you know. But I, I don't want it to sound like, you know, my mom was just like money bags or whatever when I was growing up. You know, she wasn't. I'm sure she probably bought those things throughout the year or maybe even, you know, put them on layaway or whatever to try to get me all those great items. But, you know, I'm forever grateful that my mom did that for me, you know. So, uh, you know, I mean, like I said, I got the firehouse, the, the, the Ninja Turtle sewer scene, the bat cave, things like that, you know. But people also have to remember this. Back then, $30 for the firehouse was a lot of money. You know, and I'm I'm not sure how much the sewer play set cost. I'm not sure how much the Batcave cost or any of that stuff. But, you know, back then, that was a lot of money. So I was very grateful that I got all that stuff, too. But, you know, I also look at it like this. Until April of that year, I was an only child. So, like I said, I'm sure most of that stuff was bought months in advance from Christmas. Um, you know, and probably even before my little brother was born. So, um, that, that's all, man. Like I, I, I went back and I kind of watched a little bit of it. And I'm like, man, did I sound like a cocky, arrogant, some bitch, but is what it is. All right. So let's kick off the final episode of 2022. Um, I kind of teased it on just therapy as well. What we are going to be talking about this week. And I have two true crime documentaries that I want to tackle this week. The first one, the first one I have a little bit of insider knowledge on. Uh, this one, the, the crimes that it was depicting took place between 1994 and 2004. And it wasn't until the 2000s that law enforcement actually got involved. And we'll talk a little bit about it once we kick off here. And like I said, I have a little bit of insider knowledge because one of the places that was actually targeted in this documentary, I used to work at. And I, I know I don't normally mention the places that I work on this show. I try to be very, very uh, careful with saying those things because, you know, not, not that I'd ever go back because I don't think at this point in my life I would. But just because, you know, you don't, you shouldn't mention stuff like that. In my opinion, you shouldn't mention stuff like that on the air unless it fits the story. I mean, I've mentioned Blockbuster quite a few times in the past on this show, but that's only because Blockbuster was such a fun place to work. But this one, this documentary, it, it shook me a little bit because I'm like, wait a minute, I was working there when this was going on, and I don't remember them mentioning this at all. And we'll talk about that once we get into that part of the show. Um, so let's just talk a little bit here about a few things that are happening. Um, you know, we we have some new shows coming to Redline Radio this year. You heard it announced a couple uh, of days ago on our website. Uh, Dynamite Dave and the star of the show, Adam, are coming back with their brand new show. 
Then we also have uh, Cleveland's Finest coming to Redline Radio. And uh, a couple other new shows are going to be joining the fray here. So welcome, 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 welcome to all of these new shows that are joining Redline Radio, LLC. All right. So this first documentary that we're going to talk about, we'll spend the first hour of the show talking about the first documentary, and then we'll spend the second hour of the show talking about the second documentary. Um, this first documentary that we're going to talk about, like I said, I mean, I used to work for one of the places that was targeted. We'll talk about what they stated in the documentary, and then I will give my opinion on what I think actually happened. And then I will tell you where the company that I was working for's focus was. So we'll do this in three parts. And then the second documentary that we're going to talk about, it'll just be me breaking down the documentary and what I thought about it and things like that. All right. So the first one that we're going to talk about is one that hits me a little bit close to home, like I said. And um, I worked for a place. Now, my particular location was not targeted, but the it was the company as a whole that was targeted. So let's take a look at the trailer. And before we do that, I just want to state that Money's Crazy Mind takes copyright law very seriously. Redline Radio takes copyright law very, very seriously. So with that said, we are going to be showing these trailers tonight under the fair use clause, copyright disclaimer under section 107 of the Copyright Act of 1976. Allowance is made for fair use for purposes such as criticism, comment, news reporting, teaching, scholarship, education, and research. Fair use is permitted by copyright statute that might otherwise be infringing. Nonprofit, educational, or personal use tips the balance in favor of fair use. All right, so with that said, let's check out the trailer for the first documentary that we're going to talk about this week. Don't pick up the phone. And now to an unbelievable hoax that police say many people fell victim to. A caller pretending to be a police officer was apparently convincing enough to talk some managers into sexually abusing fast food employees. If I didn't submit to this search, then I'd be either arrested or lose my job or both. A couple police officers telling me there's a video of what happened here. I'd never seen anything like it, and I've still never seen anything like it in 30 years. How is this? And the caller, of course, has committed the perfect crime because he's completely anonymous. We have a sexual predator on the loose, and the phone's still ringing every day. I forgot to turn the mic back up. All right, so let's break this down here. Okay. So basically what this is is saying, and you heard a little bit of it there in the trailer, but let's break this down. Between 1994 and 2004, someone was calling fast food and even non-fast food restaurants 
and stating that they were a detective for whatever law enforcement in the in the municipality that these restaurants belong to and that one of the employees there had stolen money from a customer and that they had the customer at the police department filing a complaint. So what does that mean exactly? So when someone files a complaint against somebody, it's basically like when somebody says, I want to press charges. So this person would call the restaurant and give a generic description of an, of somebody. And nine times out of 10, there would it be an employee that fit that description there at that time. The, the person on the other end of the phone when that continue to say, there are two ways that we can handle this. Either you can bring the person down to the police department and we can strip search them there to see if the money is actually in the person's possession, or you can uh, perform the search and relay to us exactly what's happening. I've never been subject to a strip search, but some of the things that the person on the, on the other end of this phone was asking these people to do would be downright criminal, even if they were an actual law enforcement officer. So basically it would start, they would bring the employee in now nine times out of 10, the employee would be under age. So now not only are we breaking the law because we're performing a strip search on an individual without law enforcement being there, without probable cause as to why this search is to be done. But now you're taking it a step further because this person is a minor and they do not have parental representation. Which, if anybody knows, you can't really question a minor without a parent or guardian present. So that's multiple ways during this scenario that the law has been broken. So let's take that a step further. So not only do they strip them of their clothing that they're wearing, but then the person on the other end of the phone would say they need to remove their underwear. They need to remove their bra. Most of the time, these employees were female and they would ask the female employee to perform what I would consider low-level sexual acts upon themselves. Now, here's where it gets fuzzy for me. Yes, the person on the other end of the phone is pretending to be law enforcement. However, there has to be a level of liability to the people that are believing the other end of this phone call. And that's kind of ex what was going on here after these calls were done. And in some instances, other employees at McDonald's or whatever restaurant it was would sit there and be like, Hey, what are they doing with so-and-so in the office? You know, and then they, Hey, uh, what the fuck is going on here? And you know, the manager would be like, Oh, I got a cop on the phone and he's saying we have to strip search them because they were, you know, they're being accused of stealing. The person would get on the phone and be like, Hey, look, like you can't do this. This is against the law. If this person actually did anything wrong, send a cop here, period. And the fact that management didn't realize that that was the only and proper response to be given to this 
shows kind of a level of uh, gullibility that the management had on this. Now, I don't know what the fuck that was, but okay. Uh, where was I going with that? Okay. I, I take the time frame that this was happening kind of into consideration as well, but I've spoken to other managers that were managers either at quick service restaurants or just regular restaurants for that matter during the time frame that this was happening. Like I said, this was 1994 to 2004. And I have a visual aid here for something else that was discussed during this documentary that we'll get that I'll be talking about here momentarily. Now, all of them were stating that common sense would sit there and say, if you have somebody on the line that is asking you to perform these kind of things and you know for a fact that it's wrong, then it is up to you to make that distinction. But I'm going to throw this little caveat in there. We're talking about 1994 to 2004. A lot of times things like this didn't happen back then. And like I stated, I worked for one of the organizations that was targeted by these phone calls. And I don't even remember hearing about it. And that will come into play a little bit later on as we continue on telling the story. Um, I'm kind of giving a little bit of my breakdown on this a little bit, and but we'll continue the story here as I go along with this. I just kind of want to focus my thought on this one part. If you had back then, and this was also something that we talked about on Sean Boyd's show too. If you had somebody from law enforcement calling you during that time, nine times out of 10, it would actually be law enforcement. And especially back in 94 through 2004, you had no reason to assume otherwise. Now, what this person was doing was absolutely despicable. So after one of these instances in a very small town, the police actually did get involved because the, somebody called the police said, Hey, we just got this phone call. We're confirming the phone call. And of course, law enforcement said, no, we didn't make that phone call. And now they're trying to investigate it. And the cool thing was, was that one of the employees was like, well, we can just star 69 the number and get the number. So for those that don't know what star 69 is, Back in the day when landlines were prevalent, much like it, they were during this documentary, or during the time frame that this documentary took place in, um, if you didn't have caller ID, which most businesses probably didn't during this time, you could dial star 69 and you would get a, a, a recording that said the last number that dialed your line was, and then it would give you the phone number. So now the police had the number, but there was something else that happened too. Much like most of these restaurants did in the early 2000s, and I will say that the restaurant that I worked at did the same, they installed cameras. And one of the main areas that they put the camera in was the manager's office, since that's where all the money counting and things like that was taking place. So not only did they have the phone number that called the restaurant, they also had video of everything that happened. And of course, it went down exactly the way the manager said it did, but it also had not one, 
but two different managers on camera performing the strip search on a 17-year-old girl. So this investigator says, all right, we have to find out who made this phone call because not only are these managers guilty for doing what they did and they will be uh, facing charges of sexual assault of a minor, but the person that made the phone call also needs to be held accountable for this as well since they're the one that facilitated this and coached these people into doing these things. But not only did he try to look up the phone number so that they can find the person responsible, he wanted to see if there were any other instances of this going on. And what he found was staggering. He discovered that phone calls that went exactly like this to the letter had been being made for 10 years all across the country. And it just seemed like nobody was doing anything about it. Most of the municipalities weren't even holding the managers accountable for what they were doing because of the fact that they were being coached by the voice on the phone. So this guy, he tries calling back the number, thinking, you know, maybe it's a landline. Maybe I'll get a hold of somebody. Maybe, you know, whatever. And all he kept getting was a busy signal every time he tried calling it. So then he realized it was an AT&T phone number. And he thought, maybe AT&T has the information on who owns this number and why it's constantly busy. Maybe it's a payphone that somebody left off the hook. What's a payphone, you might be asking? A payphone... Back before these devices were as prevalent as they are, there would be a payphone on every quarter. You can walk up to it, slam a quarter in into it, and make a phone call. Or, if you had a calling card, which saved people a lot of money when they were making long-distance phone calls, because long-distance phone calls never used to be free before these existed, and even after these existed. But not necessarily a smartphone, but the cell phone in general. Before these things were as prevalent and popular as they were, even a cell phone, you would have to wait for after a certain hour of the day and weekends to be able to make calls without being docked minutes. So that's what a payphone was. So this detective called AT&T and they, he found out it was, in fact, a calling card phone number. So the only way that that number would appear is when somebody was using the calling card that activated that number. So basically, the way the calling card worked is it's basically like a gift card for making phone calls. You pick up the phone, you dial in the number that it gives you on the back of the card, you put in your calling card number, and then it'll say, okay, what number do you want to dial? You have X amount of minutes. You put in whatever number you want to dial. And it'll connect you to that person and it'll be a free call instead of the person on the other end of the line having to pay long distance charges. So once he got that, he started asking questions like, well, you know, where was this card purchased? Do we have any of that information? AT&T kept trying to tell him no. Then this happened at another restaurant and this person had now had the phone number from the other cop and and he started investigating it as well. He actually got somebody on the line at AT&T that gave him a little bit more information than what they were willing to give the other guy for some reason. But he kept calling and asking to speak to somebody higher and higher and higher. 
So this person was doing his due diligence to try to bring this criminal to justice. And what he discovered is that the phone number or the calling card could be traced. The other person was was being told, you can't trace this kind of information, blah, 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 blah. Well, it turns out, thanks to the wonderful piece of legislation that we got courtesy of George W. Bush and 9-11, the Patriot Act, they actually could trace that information. They just didn't want people to know that. So this person looked through the records. Not only did they know when the card was purchased, but they knew where the card was purchased. Turns out it was purchased in Fort Lauderdale, Florida at a Walmart on a particular date. So this person starts calling Walmarts in Fort Lauderdale, Florida and saying, hey, do you have cameras? If you have cameras, do you have them for this date? And of course, Walmart said yes. So what the, he said, can you please send me this information? I'm looking for a, a suspect in a crime. He got the tape. Now, most of this generation may not even know, A, what a VHS looks like, or B, how a VHS worked. So, like I said, I'm going to break this down while telling the story and everything like that, and then afterwards I'll give my opinion and what one of the particular targeted entities was doing or was more concerned about during that time. So it just so happens because I am a collector that I own some VHS tapes, mainly from one of my all-time favorite franchises, Ghostbusters. And and you can see through part of it, that's because it's Slimer and he's green. But this is a VHS. This is what the cassette looks like during the time that this was happening 99% of your security systems in businesses would be using these and what was so cool about VHS's even the ones that you bought in store that were branded like this one it says Ghostbusters on it let me see if I can get it close enough to the camera there there you go it also says it's the 10th or 15th anniversary edition which is a very special version of this VHS, which is why I bought it um, used at a convention. But these used magnetic tape. You could actually open the back of it and look at the tape. That's the magnetic tape right there. I'm not going to touch it because, like I said, for me, this is a little bit of a collector's item. But that's what the back of the, of the cassette would do. You could open it up. You can look at it. And you can see if it was bunched up or anything like that. And you can also stick your finger in these little wheels down here and advance the tape in case it ever got stuck. So some cool things about VHS. Now, a lot of these businesses would use VHS for their security systems, mainly because these tapes are reusable. Even the ones that you bought in the store that are branded like this one for Ghostbusters, the 15th anniversary edition. There's a little tab on the front of the cassette right there. Now, when you buy a cassette in store like this one that that already has Ghostbusters, in this case, 
recorded to the magnetic tape, that tab is removed. But as you can kind of see right there, beauty of a 2K camera, ladies and gentlemen, that tab was broken off intentionally. So when you buy blank VHSs, which you could, that tab is still intact. And basically what that tab would allow you to do is to keep recording and recording and recording. Now, let's say the tab breaks off and you still need to use it. You can just stick a piece of tape over that tab, cover it up, boom, you're good to go recording all over again. So a lot of the businesses and places would use those tapes over and over and over again. They were normally labeled for a day of the week. Now, this detective got lucky and that that Walmart had not yet recorded over that particular tape. Or um, I'll, give a, I'll give an example. The Blockbuster I worked at actually used VHS recording system. There, were, there was Monday, week one, Monday, week two, Monday, week three, Monday, week four. So that way you had every Monday of the month still available in case something happened. And it was the same thing for Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So maybe that's the way that this Walmart did, and that's why it hadn't been recorded over yet. But the guy got the tape. Quality was horrible, as VHS tends to be. Um, you know, if you didn't, if trust me, if you lost your remote and your VCR did not have a tracking button on the front of it, which if you see at the beginning, when you see all that little fuzzy, you know, line stuff that you see at the beginning of my show during my intro, that's what a VHS would look like when it's first kicking on or if it needed to be tracked, which basically means that there was a fault in the magnetic tape and you need to track it to try to fix the error. Um, look at this. You guys are getting a history lesson on the way that we used to enjoy entertainment. Uh, you know, so he's, he's watching the tape and it's basically just four different angles. You, one section, one section, one section, one section. And it would just keep recycling back through the sections. And every once in a while, it would show the entrance to the store. So he's like, well, this is useless because none of them are on the registers. We don't have this guy actually purchasing the card. So then they get another phone number from another calling card. He calls AT&T and they're like, that was purchased at a different Walmart. And he goes, excellent. He called around to the other Walmarts. Do you have cameras? Yes. Do you have cameras at your registers? Yes. Ding. All right. So he gets that tape. And sure enough, sure as shit, there's the image of a guy buying a phone card right there on the tape. They now have their a picture of their scumbag. He actually got smart. And he's like, well, let's go back to the other footage from the other Walmart. And let's just focus solely on the entrance of the store and see if we can get a better shot of this guy. Because the shot that he had from the other Walmart was an aerial shot. So while he had his profile and everything like that, they didn't have a real clear shot of his face. So then he went, goes back to the other footage. Sure enough, boom, has him. Day the card was purchased, walking into the store. And he made a shocking discovery when he did that. I'm leaving a bunch of information out here. I'm just trying to give the basis of the story. He noticed something as the guy was walking in on that second tape. A line 
on his pants that go down the center seam of his pants. I can't remember what they called it. But that line that goes down the center of the pants, he's like, only one profession in the world does that to their uniform pants. Law enforcement. This guy is a cop. Now, obviously, he's frequenting Walmarts in Fort Lauderdale. So where do you think scumbag number one lives? Survey says, ding, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. He takes a trip down to Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and he goes from police department to police department to police department showing this footage, saying, does this guy look familiar to you? All of them said no. So then he's just like, all right. And then one police department is just like, well, wait a minute. Our police officers don't wear those, but our corrections officers do. So he's like, still law enforcement. So then he goes to state jail, to state jail, to state jail. Showing the footage. Nope, guy doesn't work here. Nope, guy doesn't work here. Finally, he gets to one and they're like, oh, yeah, he works here. He's actually here right now. Let's call him in here, shall we? <laughs> so they do. Guy is nervous as shit. And, um, you know, they're, they're questioning him about it. Like, did you buy these phone cards? Yes. Okay. You know, well, here's the problem we have with this. Those phone cards were being used to make phone calls to restaurants and this, this, and this. And he goes, I'm so glad this is finally over with. Sounds like a confession to me. Uh, but then they started questioning about it. You know, did you make the phone calls? Da, 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 da. No. Well, you just said you were glad it was over with. Well, yeah, I'm glad that the situation is over with. I had heard about it. But no, I'm not the one that made the phone calls. Yes, I purchased phone cards, but that's not what they were for. This dude wasn't buying it. He calls the other cop down. And they're just like, look, the only way we even found you was because we were able to trace the phone number from the phone cards to the cards that you purchased those days at the Walmart. The Walmart footage that we have you buying a phone card and the Walmart footage of the day that we see you walking into Walmart. So you mean to tell us you're not the one that made these phone calls? Now, the one city refused to press charges against the guy because it's a loose case. And I'll admit it's a loose case. The other one is just like, look, we got a 17 year old girl that is now traumatized for the rest of her life. And we have two managers that are now facing sexual assault charges. Bring his ass in. So they were able to arrest him on that. Here's where things get even more fuzzy. This guy hires an attorney. And the attorney is just like, okay, cool. He bought the phone cards, but that's not for him. That's not sitting there saying he's the one that made the phone calls. And he might be 100% right about that. He might be. Now, here's where the, the, the story takes an even bigger turn. The restaurant where the 17-year-old girl was violated by not one, but two separate managers, one male, one female, was McDonald's. And obviously McDonald's had been in the news during this time because that woman had sued them over the hot coffee and won. 
But you also had two teenage girls that were suing McDonald's over McDonald's making them fat, which spawned the documentary film Supersize Me. So you also have McDonald's worrying about that new thing, and now you have this on top of it. This 17-year-old girl and her family decided that McDonald's did nothing to protect the employees from the potential threat of these phone calls and sued McDonald's. So now, not only do you have this corrections officer from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, being put on trial to determine whether or not he is the scumbag that made the phone calls, but you also have McDonald's on the defensive trying to beat a $200 million lawsuit. Now, do I think $200 million is a little outrageous? Yes. But the judge actually asked the right questions during the lawsuit hearing for McDonald's. What has McDonald's done to educate their employees at their restaurants about the threat of these phone calls, especially since we know these calls have been going on for the better part of 10 years. Well, McDonald's claimed that they had settled a whole bunch of lawsuits concerning this already. And the judge is like, well, why have you not presented that evidence? Damn good question, in my opinion. So McDonald's is just like, okay, we'll present the evidence. We'll give it to the, to the prosecution. They have the right to look through it, blah, blah, blah. Well, McDonald's did turn over the information hours before they were meant to be back in court. And the prosecution's like, look, they sent us 17 boxes. We haven't even had a chance to go through all this. So yet again, the judge is just like, all right, McDonald's, this is the game you want to play? Well, here's how I'm going to play this game. I'm not going to force them to go through those 17 boxes. I'm going to do it. And if I can't find any information in here where it looks like you warned your employees, more specifically your management, of this potential threat and what they need to do to not only protect themselves, but to protect their employees, 99% of which are under age then you will be found guilty of this and you will be ordered to pay restitution to this employee. So the judge looked through everything and he goes, look, yeah, you settled a lot of these cases, but it sure as hell looks like you're trying to cover something up and you're trying to protect people that should not be protected. You lose. You owe this girl money. She didn't get the $200 million, thank God, because even I think that that's astronomical. But the girl did get restitution in the case, and McDonald's was found liable for not protecting their employees. So, I had mentioned that I used to work for one of the organizations that was targeted during this investigation. That's basically the end of the documentary after that. The unfortunately, the guy on the other end of the phone was found not guilty or at least this individual was found not guilty because they just did not have enough evidence to prove that he was the one that was physically making the phone calls. I will give my opinion on that in just a moment. But I want to talk about the the place that I worked for during this time. 
I'd only been there a, a short amount of time because I, I started there my senior year of high school, which was 2003. So it was near the tail end of this. But being an employee of McDonald's during this time, we did not hear anything about this. So if this actually was, you know, to happen to our store, who knows what would have happened? And we don't even know if, if it did happen at our store. But here's what I will say. 99% of our management team was female. 99% of our management team had been working for McDonald's for a very long time. But we did have one manager in training that was 17 years old. And that manager actually happened to be a friend of mine. But they were, they didn't tell any of us about this because I can tell you this. I was not just a regular crew person there. I was a crew trainer. I was one step under management. So anything that management needed to be involved in, I was involved in all those conversations as well, which is how I know I was not a part of the, of these conversations. And, you know, th those were actually some of the managers that I spoke to. And I'm just like, you know, if this ever situation ever came up, what would you have done? Like, well, we would have hung up. I'm like, okay, but that's easy to say it now. Put yourself back in 2003, 2004. What would you have thought then? And they all kept saying the same thing. Oh, we would hang up. We wouldn't allow that to happen, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. And I'm like, but do you think that McDonald's should have sent out a communication to all the restaurants saying, be on the lookout for this? And yes, even back then, there was an inter-office communication tool where they could send messages that needed to be store-wide communicated over their systems. I know this because I saw several of them about, you know, promotions. Um, and when I say promotions, I mean like, you know, hey, Monopoly starts this week. Hey, two for, two for whatever fish starts this week. Or things like that. I saw all those communications. Because like I said, I was basically a manager in training just without the title and the money. Yeah, I was an idiot back then. What can I say? Um, but never a communication about that. Not even after this lawsuit was settled do we have any communication about that. But here's the other crazy thing. Even though the guy at the other end of the phone was found not guilty... The phone call stopped after that. Now, he was terminated as a corrections officer because of the way he was implicated in this and because there was enough evidence to sit there and say, yo, dude, you purchase phone cards and you can claim up and down. And you can have your wife claim up and down that you didn't make these phone calls, but it don't look good, dude. Um, but McDonald's did not communicate this to our employees whatsoever. But here's what McDonald's did communicate to their employees during this time. And this is what I think McDonald's was more worried about, their public image. Now, does this kind of put a black eye on their public image? Yes, but this also wasn't revealed until 2022, a very long time after this happened. But what was damaging to their public image back in 2003 and 2004 was the fact that a documentary film was being released entitled Super Size Me. Now, the film had not hit theaters yet, 
but it was going to soon. And then it was going to hit home video not too long after that as well. And the employees were put under a hush clause stating we weren't allowed to talk about the film. We weren't allowed to talk about the production of the film. We were not allowed to talk about anything that we may know about the film. And that got even worse once it hit home video and it was able to be seen by everybody. Now, I had just started working, or was soon to be working for Blockbuster when Super Size Me came out. And even though I was under a gag order and was told we were not allowed to watch the film or discuss the film with employees, customers, no matter what, I saw the movie. And I hate to say it, but McDonald's had every right to be running scared during that time for what was revealed in that film. Take that from a former McDonald's employee. But, you know, when it comes to the safety and security of their employees and the fact that their management could potentially face sexual assault charges for this, they didn't give a shit. And the two managers that were caught on video performing this assault on this 17-year-old girl, both of them were charged and convicted. One of them was convicted to 10 years in prison. The other one was convicted to probation. So at least some people were taking this seriously. Now, here's what I think was going on with the guy on the other end of the phone. Do I think it was the person that they arrested and charged? Yes. Do I think he made every phone call? No, at least not at first. And here's why I say that. Think about the job he had. You hear about it all the time on the news how a correction officer goes bad and does things to either help inmates escape or they're having improper relationships with inmates. You hear about it all the time. Who knows what one of the inmates in that facility could have promised this guy to have him make these phone calls. All we know is that the calls were made from pay phones. Well, what's in jails? Pay phones. And if they have a calling card, they don't have to sit there and, and go through the whole, you have a collect call from an inmate at so-and-so prison, do you accept the charges? It's going to go through just like a regular phone call. So if this guy was providing inmates with calling cards to make phone calls, maybe he overheard one of the phone calls. But that's the other thing. If it was an inmate at the jail making these calls and they were the one that were using the calling card, it doesn't matter if they're using a calling card or not. Every phone call except to attorneys are recorded. So if that's the case, then they could have just subpoenaed the jail and said, hey, can we get the phone records? But they probably didn't think like I just thought. Could it have been an inmate? But do I think that this guy made some of the phone calls? Absolutely. Do I think that he might have coached some inmates as to what to say? Absolutely. But I do think that he was the person responsible. I just think he was able to cover it up and he had a good enough lawyer to get away with it. But those are my thoughts on it. So what is everybody? I know this is a pre-recorded episode, but you can leave comments and I will see them. So what does everybody else think about this? 
I mean, do you agree with my uh, uh, assumptions as to what happened here? That's all I can make is an assumption because this case was technically never solved because the one person that they had as a suspect was able to get away with it. If he actually was the person that did it. Quite frankly, I think my opinion on what happened here is more than likely the truth. He overheard an inmate making these phone calls and said, hmm, that's not a bad idea. But here's the other thing about this guy, and this is something that I was going to leave out because I wanted to save it for people when they watch the documentary. This guy had applied for just about every police department in Fort Lauderdale, Fort, Florida, interviewed with some of them, went on drive-alongs with others. But he was never hired to be an actual cop. So what would stop him from, from doing this? He may think that he was just practicing or, you know, whatever. But we've also seen that before, where people would inject themselves into law enforcement or pretend to be law enforcement to get away with other nefarious things. This guy was a level of law enforcement, just not the level he wanted to be. And I personally know somebody that is in a very similar state like that. He wants to be a real cop, but he's just an auxiliary cop and most of the time works the jail. So I've seen it firsthand that this is a particular delusion of grandeur that people have. But what say you, the audience here? I'd love to read all your comments and we'll talk about it again next week. But that is basically the breakdown of the documentary, Don't Pick Up the Phone where McDonald's view was during this and the fact that as an employee of a McDonald's that worked during the time that this was happening, we didn't hear shit about it. They were too worried about supersize me. But with that, we are hitting about the hour mark here. We're going to go to break. And when we come back, documentary number two, a twofer this week, rolling into the new year, just a few days away. We'll be right back here on Redline Radio, LLC, and Money's Crazy Mind. We got Psych Ward for you here this week. This one's called Mob Like Family. Nobody can touch you now. I'm your man. Jesus Christ couldn't touch you because I represent you. So keep your nose clean, be a good owner follow the rules and who knows maybe one day when they open the books you get straightened up become a wise guy a man guy come on lift your glass we mob like family like family we mob like family like family we mob like family like family we mob we mob we mob we mob the world is mine so fuck the rest yeah fuck it with me yeah fuck it with the best i'm untouchable like other puppets leaving motherfuckers mind bones i'm gonna get to the top don't give a fuck about a bitch ass cop sonny black brought you in and said you were down now you're breaking bread talking family now at the call last night Things didn't go right. Had a pull rank, had a call Mr. White. He said blind started freaking, pink started drinking. Got me thinking of what to do. There's a rat in a family and I think it's you. So we rally up the crew and we ready to ride. We mob like family and you die tonight. 
When I say mob like y'all say family, we mob like family, we mob like family. When I say we mob like y'all say family, we mob like family, we mob like family, we mob like family, 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 like family, we mob, mob, we mob, we mob. Baseball back to the back of your toe. Why couldn't you just leave it alone? You fucking with family, you're fucking with me. I'ma have to put you three feet deep in the shallow grave for a shallow ass snitch. Ran to the beds like a scared little bitch. Told them on the other hand, it's shit that I did. Murder men, women, even little ass kids. So what you gonna do when it's protection can't save ya? What happened to all the love that I had gave ya? I brought you in and I made you family. And this is how you go and repay me from behind my back. Run your mouth I'ma make sure another word never comes out Close the case and close the trunk This is what happens to a bitch-ass punk When we mob like family Like family, we mob like family Like family, we mob like family Like family, we mob, we mob, we mob, we mob We mob like family Like family, we mob like family Like family, we mob like family Like family, we mob, we mob, we mob, we mob Redline Radio is proud to partner with Growing Wings Adult Services, the proud sponsor of our state-of-the-art production studio. The team at Growing Wings has over seven years' experience of helping adults with disabilities in the Northeast Ohio area. If Lisa Summers and the team at Growing Wings can help your family, contact them at 234-334-7447 today. And mention that you heard all about Growing Wings right here on Redline Radio, LLC. Oh, wow, that sounds that sounds really great. Wow, that sounds like a really good deal. Who are you talking to? Uh, the Northeast Ohio Ghostbusters. Hello, Northeast Ohio Ghostbusters. What are you wearing? Uh... Khakis? Well, that sounds hideous. Well, they're Ghostbusters. We are back. We are back here in the asylum. Let's get into it here. Welcome back. Our number dosi dos of Money's Crazy Mind. Last show of the year 2022. Huge shout out to my boys in Psych Ward for providing me with their music each and every week here on Money's Crazy Mind. The song you heard during the break, as I said before we went to break, was Mob-Like Family. And this one that you're hearing right now is called Psycho America 8100. You can find all of Psych Ward's music on their YouTube channel. All one word, Psych Ward 216. All right, so before we get into the second documentary here, I want to talk to you guys about one of the great sponsors that we have here at Redline Radio who's actually going through a little bit of a tough time right now. 
Um, I'm hopeful that uh, Michelle and the team over uh, will appreciate the fact that I'm talking about this. Uh, but, you know, we'll see um, how it goes once it's all said and done. But uh, over the Christmas uh, break during Snowmageddon, um, one of our sponsors, uh, Lucy Shenanigans, a great place. We've done some remotes there. We have more coming in 2023 from that location. But also, you know, we've done some comedy shows there, and we're working on a few other things with them as well. They, unfortunately, were the victim of a break-in over the uh, holidays, and uh, all their windows busted out, neon signs damaged, uh, some things stolen, and things like that. So, you know, we just want to send a very uh, sincere, um, you know, thoughts and prayers out to Lucy's shenanigans, the team over there, and, you know... Uh, Anybody that's listening that has gone to either one of the comedy shows at Lucy's or to the one of the remotes or anything that we've had there at Lucy's, if you just want to go and visit the team over there or ask what you can do to try to help get them back open and everything like that. Obviously, they have insurance and things like that, but, you know, everybody knows insurance does not cover 90% of what it needs to cover. And that's that's the unfortunate reality of it. Uh, but, you know, obviously, we we appreciate everything that Lucy's has done for us. And uh, hopefully um, they'll be able to reopen and, and get things rolling here soon. Um, but, you know, if you guys are looking for a great spot in Northeast Ohio to get a tattoo, look no further than the team at Tattoo Therapy, Inc. They are in a brand new location, same shopping center, 5951 Pearl Road in the Greenbrier Shopping Center. They used to be right before Penn Station. Now they're right before Lily's uh, Chinese food. You can go in there. Riley's got some great deals going on right now on gift cards, uh, gift certificates for for full day, half day sessions, touch-ups, whatever. They are the more most elite team of tattoo artists in Northeast Ohio. So if you're looking for a tattoo, go visit Riley and the team over at Tattoo Therapy Inc. in Parma Heights today. They are the official sponsor of a segment that will return in 2023 here on Money's Crazy Mind. Crazy shit you find on the interwebs. But they are also a great sponsor of Redline Radio LLC. My personal tattoo artist is Riley Chase, the owner of Tattoo Therapy Inc. He's also done some work for Lex Vegas and Dynamite Dave. So visit Tattoo Therapy Inc. today. And also, if you're a race car driver or if you're a business and you need banners, race car decals, any kind of decals for your car, stickers, anything like that, then look no further than the team at Red Line Graphics. We have availability for the entire year of 2023 available. They are, uh, I actually got the new logo, the logo that you see right there to my left for Money's Crazy Mind done by the team at Red Line Graphics. Uh, they helped me do all these backgrounds that you see behind me. The ad that you see where it has all of my social media stuff on it. All that 
all done at Redline Graphics. The ads that we would put out that have every show on it and the breakdown of every show, those are done by Redline Graphics. So if you're looking for any kind of custom design stuff like that, look no further than Redline Graphics. You can find us on Facebook, Redline Graphics LLC, and we hope to see you in 2023. All right, so let's get into the next documentary here that we are going to discuss. So this one I discovered uh, just yesterday, actually, um, on Netflix. I think it dropped over the Christmas weekend. I'm not 100% sure on that. Don't quote me on that. But like I said, I didn't have any interwebs. Wow, look at that. The green screen effect affects a blue cup. Who would have thought? Anyway. Um, but I remember hearing something about this. And this is actually a topic that gets used quite a bit on shows like Criminal Minds, Law and Order, um, and things like that. But this actually brought to light quite a few things that I want to discuss about the way healthcare goes on. And I'm wondering if since this happened, cause I want to say this happened in the nineties, they didn't really put a timeline on it. Uh, but I, maybe even the early two thousands, who knows, but I want to say that because of this, that I hope this is something that they were able to fix. So the second documentary that we are going to talk about this week is called capturing the killer nurse. And just like we did in the first hour, just in case the fuckheads at you, uh, YouTube and Facebook forgot, we are claiming that we are able to talk about this under the fair use clause and the copyright disclaimer under section 107 of the Copyright Act of 1976. Allowances made for fair use for purposes such as criticism, comment, news reporting, teaching, scholarship, education, and research. Fair use is uh, fair use is a use permitted by copyright statute that may otherwise be infringing. All right. So um, just like we did with don't pick up the phone. Here's the trailer for capturing the killer nurse. The idea that a nurse might be killing patients was very disturbing. There's no eyewitnesses. There were no cameras. Medical homicide, they're tough cases to prove. I walked in on him murdering someone. I felt like I was helping people. All right, so there you have it. That was the trailer for Capturing the Killer Nurse, a new documentary that just launched not too long ago on Netflix. So let's talk about this just a little bit. So this tells the story about a nurse who had worked at about 19 to 20 different hospitals. And this guy left a trail of bodies behind him. So he would get these jobs in these hospitals. And he would start working the floor just as any other nurse would. And slowly, patients 
99% of the time that were either very close to being released or were in some level of stable condition and getting better would mysteriously start dying. And nobody could really put their finger onto why it was happening. So finally, this guy gets to hospital 19, maybe even 18, and he befriends one of the nurses that's there. There's a few things medically wrong with this nurse that could actually prevent her from being a nurse and she could lose her job. So, But that's all discussed in the documentary. I mainly just want to talk, talk, tell the story of this individual. Uh, so he befriends this nurse. And this nurse goes on to notice that patients are starting to die. But that also that this guy knows quite a bit about medications. Medications that aren't normally used in everyday medicinal purposes. Now, they both worked on the ICU unit in the, on the night shift. And finally, somebody from the CDC is just like, well, wait a second here. Something's wrong. And the hospital actually reached out. The hospital reached out to law enforcement. It was just like, we think there's something suspicious going on with this death. We have to report it. We're performing an internal investigation. We'll get back to you with the results of our investigation. The police start questioning this, and they're just like, well, wait a second. You know, you have this nurse. It's, it's you know, he's worked at all these different hospitals before, and he leaves them relatively quickly and then moves on to another hospital. Now, the hospital that he was working at while this investigation started in my opinion, didn't really do too much of their due diligence to, to look into this guy's background. Now, these hospitals would give the, the, the recommendation saying, yes, he's a nurse. Yes, he was a good nurse. You know, he worked here from this time to this time. But they never really looked into things that were happening, or so we thought. As the investigation continues, it turns out a lot of these hospitals we're covering up the fact that this guy had an exorbitant amount of patients that were dying. Obviously, there's a certain level of risk that's going to happen when any patient comes to the hospital for any reason. Even a routine procedure, something could go horribly wrong. So there's always a certain percentage of death that a hospital is willing to accept. But in this case, we're talking two, three, four hundred percent higher than that acceptable level of risk. This nurse um, that he befriended ended up knowing somebody that he worked with at another hospital. And so she meets this person for lunch. And she's like, you know, was he ever looked into for, you know, strange things that were happening? And she goes, there was a rumor going around that he might have been involved in a patient's death. That he injected them with a drug that was fatal. And that, you know, he would puncture IV bags and that's how he would do it. And... 
she goes, why? What, what's the problem? And she goes, oh, the same thing's happening. We have a large number of blue uh, codes. And so then she goes back to the hospital and starts looking through all the IV bags. Sure enough, she finds a few that are punctured. She starts putting two and two together. She gets interviewed by the police. But what was interesting about these interviews is that the hospital demanded that a member of their staff be present during these interviews. And the second the police started asking questions that the hospital didn't want asked, they would immediately shut down the interviews. During one of the interviews with this particular nurse, uh, the director of the hospital got called away on something. The investigators got sly, slid something to her and said, look at these results. Do these look normal? And she noticed that the blood glucose level of this patient was way off. And she said, something's not right about that. Then the person walked back in the room. The questioning had to stop. They asked outside of the hospital if this person would be willing to help them. Obviously, the person says yes. They start investigating this guy and discover that every single patient that this person came into contact with, this particular nurse was taking out medications that those patients didn't need namely insulin. So the, the system, one of the systems that they use is it all linked to their computer and they can run these reports. The hospital tried saying that it only kept three weeks of records. This nurse was just like, no, that's not the case. Any, any, any drug that this person took out during their shift is recorded. It's a computer. You, it doesn't delete records so she grabs all the records discovers this and she notices something interesting about it and this is actually something that he brought up to her that you can input the information and then right before the door is to kick open to the drug drawer where you can grab whatever vial you need and then close the drawer you can hit cancel and the drawer will still pop so he would cancel these orders so the hospital didn't think anything of it. Well, he's not getting the drugs. But they don't know about the fault in the system that if you wait a certain amount of seconds and right before that door pops, you can hit cancel. It'll still cancel the order, but the door will still pop. So they arrest the guy. And, of course, he's denying everything. This nurse goes and talks to him. And gets him to admit to everything. What follows is this guy admitting to killing 30 to 40 patients during his time as a nurse at all these different hospitals. Now, interesting caveat to that, while they're investigating all this and now that they're able to get his records because now he's a convicted criminal, they discover that he had quit a job at one of the hospitals that he was working at after a patient under his care died. And he checked himself in to a mental hospital. And during his time there, he admitted that he is basically what the FBI refers to as an angel of death. He claims that the only people that he would kill were people that asked to die. 
Now, obviously, the evidence shows otherwise because most of the patients that died under his watch were either on the path to getting healthy or very close to being discharged. But that is what he claimed. So while the investigation was going on and they discovered this, he was released from that mental hospital, which actually was the psychiatric ward of one of the hospitals that he was working at and was allowed to return to work of his own recognizance because they claimed that he, had, he there wasn't anything wrong with him. And you saw it kind of in the trailer there. He admitted that as long as people allowed him to continue to work in the healthcare field and he was allowed to continue to be a nurse, he would continue to kill patients. So here's kind of my breakdown of this one. We've all heard how the Catholic Church is famous for covering up cases of child abuse when it involves priests. That they'll basically just, you know, no, don't do it again. You're going to another church. And then, of course, it would happen at that church, and they go, no, bad, and then they send them off to another church. And this is just the cycle of bullshit that the Catholic Church would do with these priests. It kind of sounds like that's exactly what was happening here. This guy would do bad, no, but they wouldn't report him. They wouldn't pull his medical license. They wouldn't do anything to discipline this guy instead reward him by allowing him to go and work at another hospital and continue to do this. And to make matters worse, not only is he doing this, but he's befriending other nurses. And now these nurses are just like, well, fuck man. Now I need to turn in Charlie. Now I need to turn in my friend, you know, and even the cops are just like, hey, man, like, we get it. He's your friend. You're going to defend him. And kudos to you for doing it. But here's what we have. Help us. And once they saw the, the evidence and they saw the recommendation, you even heard the girl crying on the documentary saying, I walked in on him committing murder because she didn't know what she was looking at. He walked into a room. The moment she's talking about. He walked into the room took the IV bag down that was on the patient and hung the other IV bag up. And obviously he's going to know what bags he punctured and put the insulin in. But there's also another drug that he would use as well. It was a combination of uh, insulin and uh, digotan or something to that nature. I can't remember exactly what it uh, uh, digoxin. So I looked it up. What is uh, digoxin used for? It's sold under the brand name of Lanoxin. Among others, is a medication used to treat various heart conditions, most frequently used for arterial fibrillation, arterial flutter, and heart failure. Digoxin is one of the oldest medications used in the field of cardiology. So if you don't have um, a heart issue, um, and you're being given this uh, medicine. So let's look that up, actually. What happens if 
I take All right, so it helps by slowing down and controlling the heart rate. It uh, comes in a tablet capsule and liquid form. It works with minerals in the cells of the heart to reduce strain and keep the heart beating normally. So if you have a normal heartbeat, you're going to eventually cause heart stoppage. I mean, that, that's kind of what I'm seeing here. So he basically, you know, used that to slow down the heart to the point of stoppage. And if you were to do that, that's just not good. And then the insulin, you know, that, that speeds up you know, the production of, of, uh, blood, sh a blood sugar count, or even slows down your blood sugar count. So that could have adverse effects too. If you're taking it for no reason, it can cause your blood sugar to, to, to skyrocket. So this dude was basically an angel of death. So what is an angel of death? An angel of death is classified by the criminal investigative unit or the criminal profiling unit of the FBI as someone, namely in the medical field, who uses their position in medicine to kill someone. Or, you know, basically it's a Dr. Kevorkian kind of situation, if anybody remembers that name, the, the doctor that would help patients commit suicide to end their suffering. What makes it that much worse in this particular case, in my opinion, is the fact that most of these patients that this guy is responsible for killing were not even ill, chronically. They were just victims of the fact that he was on shift. And that, that to me, is probably the most disgusting part of it. But, you know, the angel of death syndrome, you, you see it a lot in healthcare, unfortunately. And that's kind of what I was saying is, you know, it's mostly doctors, nurses, and people like that that are responsible for being an angel of death or an angel of mercy. And this guy showed zero remorse for what he did. I mean, he, he admitted it. He's like, if I was allowed to continue to do this, I would, I would have done it for as long as I could have gotten away with it. And that, to me, I think is the, is the scariest part about it is, you know, this guy would have never stopped. And that says something about the mental state of this particular individual. And the fact that he got away for it or got away with it for so long. It's, it's weird that it even happened that way. But I don't think that this guy even took into account that even though he was the one that was physically responsible for killing these patients, the people that he was working with, the people whose patients that they were at, that, you know, were actually in charge of these patients would be held accountable for this as well. Just because he says, Hey, you know, I'm going to go change all the IV bags. 
doesn't mean that he was the nurse in charge of those patients. He's just the one that said, hey, I'm going to go change the IV bags. So now you're looking at the nurses that were actually in charge of these patients possibly getting charged with a wrongful death as well. And like I said, a lot of these patients were basically on their way out the door. That, to me, is the most disgusting part of it. Now, uh, the cool thing about this documentary is when you look it up on Netflix, something else comes up with it. So let's say you're not into the whole documentary thing, but you want to watch something involving this story. There's also a dramatic retelling of this story with actors in a film, and it's only about an hour and a half, an hour 45 long, called The Good Nurse. You can look up either capturing the killing the killer nurse or the good nurse, and both titles will appear. It's part of a collection, as they call it on Netflix. So, regardless on whether or not you want to watch the documentary or if you want to watch the film, now the film does leave out quite a bit of information, but it does tell the bulk story of what it is. You can watch either of those. I recommend watching them both. Watch the movie then watch the documentary, and then that way you can fill in the blanks of some of the other things that were happening during that time. Now, once this guy finally admitted to everything that he did, obviously any other nurse that would have been uh, implicated in this was pretty much left alone. Because at this point, you know, you have this guy admitting what he did, and... um. they discovered that, you know, none of the other people on the ward even knew what he was doing. Now, my big question is, and this is what I'm hoping will come of this, is that the fault in the medication system that is being used will be fixed. So, uh, this is about serial killer Charles Cullen and he how he was killing patients while working in hospitals and nursing homes in the US uh he confessed to killing 40 people in nine hospitals and one nursing home during 16 years he worked as a nurse in New Jersey and Pennsylvania some suspect the number to be significantly higher nearly all the hospitals where he worked had sus- harbored suspicions that he was endangering their patients but none of them informed Cullen's future employers of their concerns. He was captured by Somerset County police detectives, Somerset medical center, where he, where at least 13 patients died. He ignored the urging of Dr. Stephen Marcus, director of the New Jersey poison control center to contact the police then delayed. Once they contacted police, they lied and failed to help them with their investigation. So Somerset medical center was one of the other ones um that harbored the investigation by the police because they lied and everything like that. So uh newspapers dubbed Colin the Angel of Death, which we talked about. And he was also a, the subject of a true crime book, The Good Nurse, a true story of medicine, madness, and murder, written by journalist and author Charles Graber. 
And in the 2022 film, Good Nurse, uh, starring Jessica Chastain and Eddie Redmayne. In 2005, the State Healthcare Professional Responsibility and Reporting Enhancement Act, also referred to as the Cullen Law, was signed into law in New Jersey. In 2006, Cullen received 11 life sentences for killing 29 patients. A week later, at a second sentencing hearing, he was given another six more life terms. He's incarcerated at the New Jersey State Prison in Trenton, and he will not be eligible for parole until June of uh, 2388. Um, so the documentary features, um, interviews with Colin, his coworkers, detectives, and Amy Lundgren, a friend and fellow nurse who assisted the detectives, uh, interviews with family members of the victims, journalist and author, Charles Graber, uh, audio from Colin himself. The film also takes a look at the uh, U.S. healthcare system, saying that profit motives and private healthcare helped Cullen continue to commit his crime without consequences, and began streaming on November 11th. Actually, um, so it was. It's been out a little bit longer than I thought, but the general consensus that I'm leaving with this is that it just seems like the healthcare system is very much like the Catholic Church. You can kill one of your fucking patients and be rewarded by getting another job. Or at least that's the way it was before this guy. Now, after this guy, I'm sure that that's changed quite a bit. And you hear about it all the time. You know, doctors being sued for medical malpractice and things like that. But what about medical homicide? You know, I'm sure before this, you know, people could probably sit there and be like, oh, well, you know, Things happen during routine procedures. And I even mentioned that myself. But now that I'm thinking about it, what's not to say that maybe one of these doctors or whoever might have an angel of death complex like this guy did? And I'm starting to think that maybe the angel of death moniker didn't exist to the FBI until this guy came along. Maybe they couldn't even place it. I don't know. But the only other time I've ever heard about anything like this was Dr. Kevorkian, who assisted his patients in committing suicide. You know, and I mean, we don't know if maybe this guy did have conversations with some of the patients and maybe they're just like, yeah, if I can't make it through this, just kill me. Maybe he didn't know that they were on the road to recovery. Like I said, most of these weren't even his real patients. He he just so happened to be working the ward that night. But it does raise quite a few questions about the way the healthcare system used to run back then. Now, here's what I'll say about this, right? And correct me if I'm wrong about any of this, but In my personal opinion, anyone that takes an oath to save somebody, especially in the medical field, if they get caught doing something like this, there should be no second chance. There should be no third chance. Or in this guy's 
case, there should be no ninth chance. I thought it was 19, but it turned out to only be nine. Maybe I was thinking the years that he said he was a nurse. But, you know, and kudos to that nurse for standing up and sitting here saying, yeah, no, I'm not going to allow this guy to continue doing what he's doing. I had no idea he was doing this. Now that I know, he needs to be stopped. So kudos to her for, for having that kind of revelation. But disgusting, man. Absolutely disgusting. All right. So there it is. Capturing the killer nurse. The second of two true crime documentaries that we're looking at here. So let, let's wrap this one up in a pretty little bow. Uh, both documentaries. We'll, we'll kind of wrap them both together. And then we'll do the close to the show. And then we'll get out of here and get ready for New Year's. Man, I can't believe it's New Year's already. This, this year went by fast. But, all right. So, what do we learn from, from this episode of Money's Crazy Mind this week? Okay. Uh, here's what I learned. One. It doesn't matter what kind of corporation you work for. They're always going to try to hide something to make themselves look less guilty than they may actually be. We saw it with McDonald's hiding the fact that that guy was calling all these restaurants and forcing people to break the law. Not only that, but you also have law enforcement who if they do have the recordings of those calls, could be just as culpable in this for allowing it to happen if it was actually inmates making those phone calls. I don't know. I wasn't there. But then, we again, we see it again in the healthcare field. A nurse that's under suspicion for killing patients was allowed to work at eight different hospitals and a nursing home. After the first suspicion, because they didn't want to admit that something could have possibly gone wrong at their facility. And then even when the police catch it, you don't even hear if the hospital director that was helping to block this investigation was even going to be held responsible for what happened. And that, to me, I think is the most disgusting part about the whole thing. McDonald's was found financially responsible for what happened to that employee. But they weren't found criminally responsible, which means it could have happened again, and all McDonald's was going to have to do was just pay out more money. But they were never found responsible for the fact that they didn't train their employees and their management teams to look out for this. They didn't put out a bolo on it. Hey, be on the lookout. If the phone rings and the person is claiming to be a law officer and they want you to do something that you feel is suspicious, hang up the phone call the police department and ask if this is something that is actually happening. Dispatch can find whatever officer is responding to that complaint. And it's the same thing that happened with this nurse. Law enforcement trying to do their job, 
hospital, stopping them at any cause because they don't want to be held responsible for this person being allowed to commit that act. And I understand HIPAA. I understand protecting patient privacy and everything like that. But in something like this, maybe there should be some kind of psychiatric evaluation on nurses and practitioners of medicine. Because who knows how many other angel of death kind of characters there might be out there. I feel that they should do better psychological evaluations on law enforcement. So that something like what happened in the McDonald's case doesn't happen again. Or even these murderous police officers that are still on the streets that are taking the law into their own hands. There's millions of these cases that are happening all over the country, not just in small town America, like Eminem and Marilyn Manson both said, now it's a tragedy. Now it's so sad to see it happen in an upper, uh, upper class city and things like that. Kudos to Eminem for that lyric, by the way. My my takeaway on, on it is this. If it seems suspicious, say something. And considering the fact that most employees that work in these quick service restaurants are teenagers and their first job anyway, they're not going to understand what's going on. If they're the ones that are responsible for answering the phone, they're not going to know what to say. They're not going to know what to do. But their bosses should. But when it comes down to the healthcare situation, these people spend a decade or more going to school for that. Some nurses don't, which is what this person was. But still, I mean, if you're if your response, if you have somebody's life in the palm of your hand, which this guy did. I would want to have a psychiatric evaluation on that individual. And if the psychiatrist says, uh, something's iffy about this dude, then somebody needs to do something about it. But that's my takeaway on both of these documentaries. Uh, they were both really fun to watch. Uh, very informative, very well done. And, um, you know, if you guys want to check them out on Netflix, they are definitely available to watch on the flicks of net. Now, uh, I promised you guys a follow up on the blockbuster TV show. Once I finished it, well, I finished it a while ago and was waiting to hear if a season two was going to happen. Well, congratulations, Netflix. You successfully got blockbuster canceled twice. Once in real life, once on a television show. So here's my thought on that, because a lot of people were sitting there saying that the show wasn't really all that well done and it wasn't all that funny and it wasn't all that good and blah, 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 blah. I disagree about that. I think if, if you look, if you knew anybody that worked in a blockbuster, the way that that show happened was pretty much the same kind of conversations that we had at Blockbuster. 
Now, back when we were working at Blockbuster, the store was a lot busier and there wasn't that much downtime. But when there was, those were the kind of conversations that we were having. And we were talking about our personal lives and things like that. Was I personally trying to date anybody that I worked with at Blockbuster? No. Were there other people that worked there that were dating each other and things of that nature? Absolutely, yes. It happened quite a few times, actually. But to me, the show was good. But I like that kind of humor. It was very Kevin-esque, uh, Kevin Smith-esque in its in the way it was done. Um, could it have been cast a little bit better? Probably. I mean, who's to say? I don't know. Uh, but, I mean, I enjoyed it, and I'm very sad to see that it was canceled. You know, and a lot of people are wondering, was it just some big ploy by by Netflix to sit there and say Blockbuster still sucks? I think if you ask the people that worked at Blockbuster, they would tell you that Blockbuster didn't suck. It was a fun place to work, and it was a great job. But that's my takeaway from the whole Blockbuster TV show. It was fun. It was a great watch. You know, sad to see it go. If you guys want to check out the season, go ahead. It didn't get reviewed very well, and apparently it wasn't viewed by very many people, and that's exactly why it's not coming back for season two. Is it a ploy by Netflix? I doubt it. I think they wanted it to succeed. The last blockbuster documentary is still up on Netflix, and it's one of their most watched shows, or movies, I should say. You know, so if they didn't want to see Blockbuster succeed, that documentary wouldn't exist on their on their network. Period. But so what 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 do we have to look forward to in 2023? Well, we are getting closer and closer and closer to episode 100. I had an idea in mind for what I wanted to do for the 100th episode, but uh, that idea is probably not going to be able to come to fruition the way I wanted it to happen, the way I wanted it to be done. So I'm thinking of something else now, something else that I want to do for the 100th episode of Money's Crazy Mind, because I don't want to do just another retrospective. I did that at the beginning of season two, and we did it as like a year-end kind of thing as well. So I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that again because it's just regurgitating old sauce. And, you know, the the moments that were great back then are going to be the moments that are great now. You know, because we don't have anything new. So I wanted to do something different. So I'm I'm working on something. I'm working on something. I have some ideas in the back of my head as to what I want to do. And in July, in July, we have something very special that's going to happen on Money's Crazy Mind. Now, the participants of it don't know it's going to happen yet. I do. I just haven't told them about it yet. But we're going to have a slew of new guests in 2023. I'm working on quite a few different guests some of them are going to be musical. Some of them are going to be actors. Some of them are going to be directors. Some of them are going to be comic book illustrators, things of that nature. I'm working on it, man. So 2023 is going to be a big year for Money's Crazy Mind. Now, for those of people that are out there that say, you know, this show hasn't had very many guests this past year or anything like that. When I started this show seven years ago, I never wanted guests. 
I knew that I had to bring guests in every once in a while, you know, just to keep things fresh, but I never intended this show to be guest driven. So when I hear people sit there and say, oh, he never has guests. Why doesn't he bring guests on anymore? Why doesn't he do this? Why doesn't he do that? Well, because I don't feel like it. And the past few times when I've tried to bring guests in, they've canceled. Which is why, you know, Thanksgiving month, what I do every month and every year for Thanksgiving is bring our sponsors on. I tried doing that this year. Nobody was available. And I get it. A lot of our sponsors are busy and it's a busy time of year, especially for incredible keepsakes and places like that, which is one of the people that I reached out to, you know, but, and I completely understand that. But when I hear that people are going behind my back and sitting there saying, well, how come you don't have any guests on your show? Cause I don't want to have guests on my show, but we are working on a few remote possibilities as well. Where I, where money's crazy mind will be on the road. One of those remotes was actually supposed to happen next month. Now it's not going to be able to happen. Not because of anything I did, but because of an event that happened at the facility. And I'm not talking about Lucy's. I'm talking about another location that I was looking into. That were begging me to come there and do it. So just because you don't see a guest on this show or... You know, I don't do very many remotes or anything like that. And I do want to thank, you know, I, I just remembered, I, I want to thank Bill Rabbits and Pit Road Diecast for allowing not only the Steel City Renegades, but Money's Crazy Mind to come into their show or store and shoot episodes of the show. That is an exclusive to Redline Radio. That will not be included in my audio library. So if you guys want to see that, Jump on to uh, Redline Radio, either on Facebook, uh, Twitch, Twitter, Redline Media Group, LLC, on on YouTube, and look it up. You just look for the live remote from Pit Road Diecast. You can fast forward to the two hours of Renegades and go to the one hour of Money's Crazy Mind. It was actually a pretty interesting conversation. We talked about Star Trek. We talked about Star Wars. Talked about how I'm mad at Facebook yet again. And let's end the show on that note. It is becoming more and more apparent that Facebook favors what content creators they want to help and what content creators they want to bury. And it seems that not just Money's Crazy Mind, but Redline Radio as a whole is some of them that they're trying to bury. We have some suspicions as to why some of it is happening, but obviously with anything else, you need proof to, to prove it and we can't. So I'm looking for a new way to deliver the show to everybody. Um, in 2023 without having to put it on Facebook. Um, so Stay tuned for that as well. I will update everybody as things go forward. Now, I do ask this. If you guys are a fan of the show, whether you're listening to me on Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, wherever you guys are listening to the show, or if you're watching the live video and you like what you see and you like what you hear, share 
the show. Get the word out there about what Money's Crazy Mind is all about. 2022 was one of my greatest years, and I want that to continue into 2023 and into the future. So I'm going to end the show on this note. Thank you. Thank you to everybody who has checked out the show, be it audio only through any of those places that I just mentioned or watching the video here live on Redline or wherever you're watching it. I appreciate it. And for those that may want to go back and listen to the audio only or listen to uh, past episodes that maybe you can't find anymore, there's a few places that you can do that. I mentioned some of them already. You can do it with Anchor by Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, CastBox, Amazon Music, Radio Public, or Spotify itself. And exclusive post-show audio wrap-up every Friday night. It used to be at 10.15. Now it's whenever I get a chance to get to it. You can also check out my website, Powered by Podpage, at podpage.com forward slash monies dash crazy dash mind. And of course, don't miss the show every Friday night, 8 p.m. streaming live on Twitch, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook. And if you want to check out the Money's Crazy Mind uh, Facebook page, not much really gets posted there except for, you know, what's going to be happening on a future episode. Or if you want to go back and watch the video of the show, you can watch it there as well. That's Money's Crazy Mind Podcast on Facebook. All right. Hopefully everybody had a great Christmas. Hopefully everybody has a safe and happy new year. Enjoy the heat wave because we all know what happens in Ohio in January and February and even March, sometimes April, sometimes May. So just everybody be kind to yourself and each other. And in the words of Bill and Ted, be excellent to each other until we see each other again. In 2023, I am Lee, too hot to handle, too cold to hold. You call the Ghostbusters because they in control, motherfucking money, saying thank you for checking out Money's Crazy Mind right here in the asylum in the basement of Spook Central until 2023, y'all. See ya. Money's Crazy Mind is a proud Redline Media Group and nameless, faceless production. That's all, folks.